Listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 88.5, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And caller, are you there? Hello, caller, are you there? Hi, we're here. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Who are you? My name is Alex Bleeker. I'm the bass player in a band called Real Estate. Alex, welcome to the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. And Alex, who else is in real estate? Well, we've got our uh, drummer, Jackson Paulus, keyboard and auxiliary guitar player, Jonah Maurer, also uh, founding members, Martin Courtney and Matt Mondanelli, all here with me in the, uh, in the car right now. And real estate are coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, this Tuesday to the Biltmore Cabaret, right? That's right. Where are you playing tonight? Uh, tonight we are playing in Salt Lake City, Utah, at a place uh, called the Urban Lounge. So if anybody's listening in that area, please check out Real Estate. And if anybody has any questions for Real Estate, it's 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR, or you could also tweet at Nardwar. That's N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R. But right off the bat, Alex, how the hell did you find me? Why are we talking together? How the hell are you here? What was going on? Well, uh, basically, we're just big fans. We're fans of the uh, YouTube interviews, and uh, I actually have to give proper credit to a good friend of ours. Maybe you've seen him on Twitter, Jake Solins, for uh, introducing us to the wonder of the Nardwar community, I guess. Well, uh, well welcome to the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. Happy to be here, like I said. Alex, right off the top there, I played something by John's children, Desdemona. 
Tell me about the John's Children. Uh, John's Children, sort of best known as uh, Mark Bolin from T-Rex's first band. They were, uh, they were an early garage uh, rock band in England in the 60s. And uh, they had a lot of promising songs, and they've got a lot of really cool garage rock records, or, you know, one in particular that's pretty famous that's sort of like, it's a shame because it's like a fake live show that they did. And the songs are really great, but the, all the fake screaming is a little uh, distracting from the record itself. But um, they're just uh, this band that I got into through like being interested in Nuggets and the whole garage rock community a couple of years ago, and it's sort of... Uh, Stuck with me, I guess. Now, you guys are on tour, playing gigs everywhere. Do you ever go into thrift shops? Because it's rumored that John's Children's Orgasm actually came out on 8-track. Oh, yeah? Is that true? I didn't even know that. Yes, I think it actually did. Just wondering, do you ever stumble across any good garage nuggets in any of the thrift shop action? Or do you have any time for that? And how many tours have you done? And will this be your first time in the Pacific Northwest? This is not our first time in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we tweeted at you the last time we were in Vancouver, also looking for an interview, so this is sort of something of a dream come true, I guess. Um, in terms of thrift store shopping, we don't get to do as much of that as I would like. We do try to go to record stores a lot when they're on the road. I have this sort of cardinal rule where, like, I don't like to buy records on the road because I end up destroying them, but I always break it. But, um... Yeah, a bunch of us, a few of us in particular are, are real record collectors, so I'd say that's more where we're finding the, uh... Precious nuggets. What nuggets have you found? Uh, I just got a uh, a uh, Pink Floyd live show. That was this was over in Ghent, Belgium. We were just in in Europe. One that I'd never heard before, uh, San Tropez, where they play a couple of my really favorite early seventies uh, tracks, like uh, like Adam Hart Mother era stuff. So I'm pretty excited about that one. Uh, Lindsey Buckingham, Gifts of Screws, his uh, recent solo record. I'm really excited about. Anybody else have a record that they? Really uh, like that they got on this tour. Hmm. Uh, I found the instrumentals of Jay Dilla's The Shining recently, and that's that's Jackson there. So no surprise that he likes the rhythms. He's the drummer. It's really great, I think, that real estate can enjoy John's children and fish together. Like you like fish and John's children. Yeah, I like fish and John's children for sure. That's amazing. And I think you guys have made it, haven't you? You've really made it. You got posted on jambands.com. I know. I know, I know. It was a really it was a big moment for me. Uh, it was a big moment for me to to be highlighted in that community the way that I, I was, I think. Now, you guys even played, like, Relics Magazine birthday party for Mike, this guy Mike, on a boat? What was that all about? Like, you were doing some fishing and really fishing, and you were actually even playing some fish. I know. Uh, you know, like, we were, we, it was a really difficult show to play because we were on the ocean and we kept rocking back and forth. Yeah, we weren't on the ocean. We were on the we were on the Hudson River, but uh, you know, nonetheless, we were we were rocking back and forth, uh, which had nothing to do with the the jam band like rocking that we were doing for our buddy Mike's birthday party. And did you play a little bit of fish too? A tiny little bit of fish? I just teased a uh, the down with disease baseline, but the rest of the band wasn't having it, so we didn't we didn't play that into it. Have you done much teasing of audiences before, Alex? Like you'll play a little bit of fish, and then the audience will get mad that you don't play the entire song. Have you done a lot of teasing? Is there a lot of teasing? Martin and I were in a band when we were in high school, uh, a band called Mark M A R C. That would uh, it was a running gag that we would tease Van Halen's jump at every show because we had this great synthesizer player and he could 
he could replicate that opening synth part really perfectly. So he would go into it, and the drummer would sort of drop the beat, and then we'd just be like, no, 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 we're not going to do it. And we did it five or six times for basically the same crowd, and they always thought that this might be the time that we would do the song, but we never did. So that, that's really what springs to mind. Alex from Real Estate coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada this Tuesday to the Biltmore Cabaret. What was your last time in Vancouver like? How did that gig go? It was nice. We were opening for the band uh, Deer Hunter, and we were playing. We played in a, a venue that used to be a, a movie theater, whose name escapes me. You guys remember the name? It could um, be. Do you know? You know one? I think it was like in, near Chinatown or something. Could have been the Rickshaw Theater. I think that's it. That's the one. Um, and then I remember uh, eating some pretty good pizza after the show. Loadout was really funny. Yeah, we had like a funny loadout that yeah. night for some reason. Now, I mentioned Desdemona. What was the funny thing about the loadout? Was it because it was an interesting area of town? Is that the reason why the loadout it, was funny? It was an interesting area of town, yes. What made it an interesting loadout? Perhaps you could hand the phone over to somebody who would like to explain that, Alex, from Real Estate. Jonah remembers it really well. Hold on. I remember the promoter and the people that worked at the venue being super excited about us loading out. And, and, and I remember that we had a lot to drink that night, so the excitement was just really thick. Because it's an interesting back alley there at the rickshaw, isn't it? Yeah, really fun alley. Exactly. Do you experience a lot of alleys like that in all your travels with real estate? Like in New York, are there alleys like that in New York? In New York, I feel like there aren't as many alleys like that. I feel like I see more on the road for some reason. Maybe for uh, the Giuliani. <laughs> with Deer Hunter, off the top of the show, as I mentioned, I played Desdemona by John's Children, and Deer Hunter is a D, and we're speaking here live to real estate coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, this Tuesday to the Biltmore. Does Deer Hunter ever do any interviews at all, Jonah? Does he ever do interviews? I think Bradford does do interviews. Because I've asked many, many times, and he's turned me down every single time, at least his management has. I was just curious. What's the -the behind-the-scenes Deer Hunter like? Have you ever seen him do interviews? Does he talk? I, I haven't personally ever seen him give an interview. In fact, one time I do remember I carry a little flip camera around on tour when we tour, and there was uh, one, one, time, one time after a show, after loadout, we were standing by the van, and he started to tell some story. He started some story by saying, I've got an incredible story, or something with some sentence like that. And so I pulled out my flip camera and started sneakily trying to film this amazing story. He got two words in and instantly caught me and screamed at me, What, don't fucking film me? Don't film me! And uh, that's, uh, that's a very short clip I have. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you for verifying that. So I don't feel too bad now that he turns down interviews, just like Nick Cave. I mention this every week in the Nardwarda Human Serviette radio show, pretty much, that to interview Nick Cave, you have to submit a request, and you have to put your 10 favorite books down on this request. And if Nick Cave likes your 10 favorite books, then he gives you an interview. And of course, I've failed every time because he probably hates every book. Actually, I didn't even got to that point, but it's very hard. So thank you for verifying that Deer Hunter story, Jonah, of real estate band. I appreciate that. I don't feel so bad that he won't give me an interview now. Good, good. 
I am excited, though. Real estate band. Thank you for phoning into the Nardware Human Serviette radio show. It's awesome. Right now, you guys are traveling. Where again are you traveling? Right now, we're going in between uh, uh, Boulder, Colorado. No, Denver, Colorado, and Salt Lake City. And we're somewhere in Wyoming. And you were at a gas station, at a trucker gas station. And, and, you were, and you were Jonah of real estate. I am. And Jonah, maybe you'd like to hand over the phone to the next member of real estate, if that's possible. Possible. Here's Martin, the singer-songwriter. Hello, Nardwar. Hello, Martin. Welcome to the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. Thank you for having me. Now, going a bit back, we played Desdemona by John's Children off the top at the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, as personally requested by... Alex's taste, and that's a D thing. And I just mentioned to Jonah a little bit about Deer Hunter. That's a D thing. And then it makes me think of another D thing. Jesse from the band Death From Above, like another D. Jesse from Death From Above. Are you familiar with the band Death From Above at all, Martin? Uh, I've heard their name and uh, no, I'm not very familiar with their music. Oh, but you're kind of connected on the D theme because I was curious. Jesse from Death From Above actually deals real estate on the side. He's always done a bit of real estate. Like he's a realtor on the side. Jesse from Death From Above. That's awesome. Now, you guys are... It's so uncommon, yeah. You guys are Real Estate the Band, and you have that interesting realestateband.blogspot.com, and I was curious, do you get any many or bogus emails about subprime mortgages, etc., because you have that sort of blog spot? Uh, yeah, I do. I get the occasional, like, like email from, like, Weikert or, like, I don't know. Yeah, I definitely get, like... Probably like two a day, actually. Um, and Twitter bots. Like on Twitter, I get a lot of real estate followers, like, you know, real estate agents following real estate. So it's benefited you having that real estate in your name, even though it's kind of been a I real estate. It gives us a lot of like fake, you know, followers. How have your gigs been in Florida where real estate isn't doing too well? Uh, we, we've only played there once on our first tour ever, and we actually ended up playing two shows um, in the same night because we played. In Pensacola at, like, a club. Um, what was it called? Sluggos. And it was a very bad show. Not very many people came. Um, and then after that show, well, we met some kids there. Or, no, some kids got in touch with us through MySpace. And they were like, you shouldn't play Sluggos. Sluggos sucks. You should play our house. Like, we're having, we're going to have a house party. You should come play it. And uh, we ended up going there after the show at Sluggos and playing their show. And it was, like, you know, 15 kids, like in a house high school, on a high school kids on a school night and uh they were awesome it was like a really good show it, was, it like totally made up for the bad show it's logos it was really fun and did that kind of make you feel at home because in brooklyn aren't there some interesting venues like that like what's the silent barn have you heard of the silent barn in v- brooklyn yeah yeah r.a.p yeah we used to practice there what um, you, you we can tell the people about the silent barn how did that compare to your florida show uh, it's, it's pretty different, you know. This is like a suburban, like, house in Florida. Silent Barn's, like, kind of like a, well, like a converted warehouse or something, or like a, I don't know what it was, some sort of industrial building that was converted to, like, you know, people live there, but it's mostly kind of like a venue. Like but it got shut down now. They don't, they don't even own the, the building anymore. So. What are the other venues like that in Brooklyn? Um, there used to be the Market Hotel, which is kind of similar to Silent Barn. 
sound barn in that way, like kind of converted uh, space. Uh, Death by Audio. Shea Stadium, Death by Audio, not 285 Kent, people don't yeah, live there. 285 Kent, Secret Project Robot, Glassland, um, kind of, a little bit. Yeah, so, uh, there's a lot that are like kind of illegal type venues. And we're speaking here to Martin from Real Estate, the band playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at the legal venue, The Biltmore, on Tuesday night. If you have any questions for real estate, it's 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR, or you can also tweet at Nardwar, N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R. Now, Martin... Do you have any good real estate tips? Like, for instance, Florida, also, I think, home to Vanilla Ice. Vanilla Ice in Florida never, ever lost money flipping a house or selling a house and making bucks. Do you have any real estate tips at all? Uh, um, I should, probably, because I went to real estate school and got a license. But I, I can't, nothing really comes to mind, you know, go, you know, get a house in a... In a, uh, I don't know, location, location, location. That's what they say. I have no idea. I don't have any tips. And Martin, we have a question for you. Actually, or Martin, would you like to hand over the phone to the next member of Real Estate so they can answer this tweet question? Yeah, here's Matt. Hello, Nardwar. Hello, Matt. Welcome to the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. Awesome. We have a tweet question for you from Hey Jake's. Allen. Yeah. Oh, okay. And Jake asks, ask real estate to please reflect on Paperface and whether they ever reprised Paperface songs on this tour. Well, Paperface was the first band that uh, I was ever in. Uh, and it was a band named after a demo, a Weezer demo. The name Paperface is a song by Weezer, a demo song. And we played covers of Operation Ivy and Descendants and Dinosaur Jr. songs. We don't ever play any Paperface songs now, though, on this tour, though. They've never been played since 10 years ago. Yeah. And was Jake in the Paperface? No, he just went to high school with me. What high school was that? Oh, he went to a, a boarding school in Williamstown, Massachusetts, called Buxton School. As, I- well, did, uh, as well, Jonah did as well, who you just talked to. And then how did you end up in New Jersey? Are you originally from New Jersey or are you from Massachusetts? I'm from New Jersey originally. So I went to high school in New Jersey and then I went to boarding school for two years. But um, so is Alex and Martin, who you just talked to, are all both from, we're all from Ridgewood, New Jersey. And when you guys were in high school, in that band playing around, did you ever frequent any of the pop punk gigs put on by, say, like No Effects or Bad Religion, that sort of thing? Well, Martin went to the Warp Tour know that one year but i didn't really i saw anti-flag once um and um the ghetto kids maybe kind of thing big wig was a popular band in jersey we weren't really into save the day or anything like that but i guess what i was wondering matt was have you been to fat mike's restaurant fat mike of no effects is that restaurant in i, I never, think where is that it's in i think it might be in brooklyn it's like thistle hill is the name of the restaurant really yeah, I was just curious. if you didn't about that at all. Have you been to many celebrity restaurants? Are there any celebrity restaurants that you'd endorse? Um, I don't know. Um, what's his name? Who? The Joker from Batman? Keith Ledger owns uh, Five Leaves. 
he had a part of Five Leaves, which is a play. It's in my neighborhood, but uh, in Brooklyn, Greenpoint, Brooklyn, where I live now. Matt, you're breaking up just a tiny bit. If you could just move a bit closer. <laughs> Hello, are the you phone. there? Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. It's funny. You mentioned Heath Ledger, and then the phone kind of breaks up. On a weird tangent, somebody actually said, and I don't know if this is true or not, that Heath Ledger based his dark nightish stuff on me, Nardwar the Human Serviette. No. Really? <laughs> that he studied YouTube videos, just like you did, real estate ban. But we'll wow. never... So it's kind of like... Amazing. The, it's the ultimate thing to say because we'll never be able to verify it, will we? No. I'm sure you think about that every day. <laughs> I do, actually. It would be amazing. Wow. Wow. And I also think of real estate the band coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada this Tuesday to the Biltmore. And we have real estate the band live on the Nordwater Human Survey Radio Show, 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. If you have any questions for real estate the band. Now, I kind of had this D theme going on throughout the interview, Matt. I don't know if you've been following this at all. Began by playing Desdemona by John's Children, then mentioned Deer Hunter, then mentioned Death from Above, and then I moved to Dan Graham and myself. Like, how did you guys find me? Well, I found out you found me through Jake. Thank you. Now, how did you find Dan Graham, who did your new LP cover? Um, We knew about Dan Graham uh, because he was an artist from New Jersey that was, like, you know, affiliated with, like, a lot of rock and roll bands, and um, we played at the Whitney Museum when he had a, a show there. There was a retrospective on him. And then um, I think we saw maybe his Homes for America series, and we decided that would be really cool because we're from New Jersey. He's from New Jersey. He takes great, great photos from New Jersey uh, to use them on our record cover. He's a huge influence on Rodney Graham, who is a visual artist from Vancouver. Like, they share the same name, Rodney Graham from Vancouver, and Dan Graham from... New Jersey. New Jersey. A connection. Vancouver, New Jersey, together. Now, Rodney sells his work for a lot of money, and I'd imagine so does Dan. How did you get him to... Give it to you so cheap. It must be cheap, isn't it? Because it, if it was expensive, you wouldn't be able to afford it. Or does Domino have big pockets? I don't think we, we don't really know how much it was, but uh, Domino Records helped us deal with that so, and license it, I guess, temporarily or something. I don't know. I think that's awesome that if you guys got in advance, that you spent it all on the album cover work. That's awesome that you would do that. We just don't know. That would be awesome if it all went there. Also, you're kind of like reclaiming the name real estate, aren't you? You're reclaiming the name real estate. I guess so. I guess that's what we're trying to do. Uh, have, have you had any feedback from that? Like you show up and people think that you're the sunny day? I, yeah, that's really annoying because uh, our album's called Days, and you know there's real estate, sunny real estate, sunny day real estate, and um, I mean we never really were into that band, so. Not that big of a deal, but it's kind of annoying. Has anybody turned up thinking you are Sunny Day Real Estate? I don't think so, but we played a festival with them, and our both of our names were on the bill, which was crazy. And did you decide to have a little visit to them and maybe tell them to stop getting back together because you're the new kids on the block, you're reclaiming real estate? No, but we've been we've been thinking about doing that, but it's kind of ballsy. And Matt. What we have here is a question, another tweet question from Ivan, etc. And it says, 
ask real estate if they're going to play Switzerland soon. I'd be down to hang and help out if they do. And then they go on to say, oh, and tell them Ivan Krasnov says hi. Okay. Tell Ivan I say hello. Hello, Ivan. Um, Spoke to... We're coming to Switzerland. I bet we will. We've already played there once before. And Ivan goes on to say, spoke to Alex at Pitchfork Fest last week after Aphex Twin. He was really tired. Nice dude. (laughs) Ivan said that? Yes. Wow, Ivan said a bunch of stuff. Um, Yeah, Alex must have been tired that day. That was the end of our tour when we played uh, over there. And now, who have we not talked to from real estate so far in an Ardwarta Human Serviette radio show, Matt? There's one more member, and his name is Jackson Paulus. If you could hand over the phone, that would be great. Yeah. And you're still listening to the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show. We have real estate on the line. Real estate from New Jersey. And real estate are playing in Vancouver this Tuesday at the Biltmore. Hello, are you there, Jackson? Yeah, can you hear me? Maybe speak up just a tiny bit louder if you could. Yeah, for sure. Welcome to the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show. Thank you, yeah, it's nice to be here. Now, Jackson, are you from New Jersey? No, I'm from Brooklyn. Okay, then you're, per- you're perfect for this question. In New Jersey, there's that legendary club, Maxwell's. Yeah. How many times has real estate played Maxwell's? Ooh. I would say like four or five times, probably about four. And Maxwell's is booked by Todd A., isn't it? Todd A., I believe so, yeah. Todd. Todd. Todd A books Maxwell's, and you're from Brooklyn, and doing a lot of shows in Brooklyn is Todd P. That's correct. So we have Todd P versus Todd A. Fight, fight, fight. Yeah. How have the Todd P shows been versus the Todd A shows? Well, I mean, it's a different vibe, really. I mean, Maxwell's is a restaurant bar with, you know food and, like, waitresses and stuff, whereas Todd P. venues are more DIY, I guess they would call it. Um, you know, kind of set up an empty warehouse, do whatever. What are, some, what are some of your memories, Jackson, from some Todd P. gigs? For instance, like those one at Fort Tilden, there's been the stuff at South by Southwest, like at, with Miss B's. What are some of your favorite memories from Todd P. shows? Because for people to have an experience, they're quite unlike anything else, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my first experience was probably when I was, like, 12 or 13. He did something in Long Island City. It was, like, Lightning Bolt and Afri Rampo and uh, a bunch of other bands. And that was super awesome. But the Miss B stuff that he did in South By, like, all of us have been down there before together, and it's always super fun. Like, a lot of bands just hanging out, like, on top of vans, (laughs) drinking beer. It's nice. Being outside. (laughs) And the Feelies, they're kind of like the house band at Maxwell's, aren't they? <laughs> I, would, I guess Yola so, yeah. Tango. And Yola Tango, I guess, too. At least in October, November. Because they're always <laughs> playing, aren't they? Yeah. And they do like the Hanukkah shows out there, too, as well. What about the Big Sur? I noticed you played there twice. The Big Sur. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really kind of mind-blowing out there, for sure. And how well do you know the OCs? Because they're always on the Big Sur gigs. You must know them pretty well, the OCs. Oh, I mean, we, they played the, you know, this summer when we played out there, and that was pretty awesome. Like, people were kind of going crazy, which was sweet. But 
I don't really know them personally that well. We stayed with them at the same lodge, so we slept close together. Um, we, don't really, we don't really know them that well. John Dwyer's a nice guy. But they're very sweet. Looking at some of the gigs that you guys have done, real estate, and we're speaking to real estate on the Nardwari Human Serviette Radio Show, real estate's playing in Vancouver on Tuesday night, the Woodus Captured Tracks Festival. Now, I saw some photos from that. Could you explain a little bit about that? It looked amazing. It was like an elevated subway was around. That looked incredible. Oh, yeah, this is Alex again, because oh. uh, this was actually before Jackson was drumming with us, but that was... Uh, thank, you, the- thank you for... Thank you for stepping in. I just wanted to get an unjaded opinion by the guy that wasn't in the band and test him. But that's okay, Alex. Back to you. Oh, did you? All right. Well, no, no, I'll that's okay. Back to him if you no, like. no, that's okay. Back to you, Alex. Thank you, Jackson. Uh, um, yeah, it was a it was a cool thing that our friends Jeremy and Mike, with the help of Todd P, threw together one year, Fourth of July. It was this big sort of festival in Bushwick, and this sort of like vacant uh, yard, and um, it was a really fun day. Most of the shows that we've done in conjunction with Woodsis have been some of the more fun and, and memorable shows that we've ever done, I think. Well, what's that Captured Tracks Festival thing? Had there been a gig there before? It looked incredible, that little area. Could you describe it to the people? There have been a few gigs there before, but not too many. It's in this like vacant lot right next to where the Market Hotel venue used to be, uh, in the Bushwick area of Brooklyn. And it's just sort of overgrown and sort of industrial. And, yeah, the elevated subway train goes right through the middle of it. So while it was, like, sort of distracting while bands were playing, it was really cool. Like, as soon as the, uh, as soon as the sun went down, uh, every time the train would go by, it would emit this sort of eerie light onto the ground. And uh, it was just really picturesque, I guess. Alex, what are disco fries? Disco fries are sort of this um, bastardization of uh, poutine, uh, the the traditional uh, Quebec dish. Or is it just Quebec, or is it all of Canada, really? Is there much poutine out in Vancouver? There's a bit, but you got to go to Quebec to get the real disco fries poutine. That's right, that's right. And so it's this sort of, like, Americanized, cheap diner version of poutine. It's, it's basically French fries and mozzarella cheese melted, you know, processed mozzarella cheese with gravy on top. I think you can get it in a few places, at least poutine in New York City, I think. And there also is, I think, some Tim Hortons there. Are you guys familiar with Tim Hortons at all? I am. And, you know, I, you know, a lot of people love Tim Hortons. I don't really, frankly, see what the big deal is, personally. People out west aren't so big into Tim Hortons, but people out east in Canada are. And I guess they were excited. They're so proud that there's, like, a Tim Hortons in Kandahar, Afghanistan, Afghanistan and there's a... Tim Hortons in New York City as well. Yeah, I think there's one. It's in Times Square or something like that. What's Grilla Delphia? Uh, Grilla Delphia is, is a now defunct uh, cheesesteak place in Philadelphia that had the best cheesesteak that I've ever had in my life. And it's like in a gas station? It's in a gas station that isn't what used to be and is not anymore a rock and roll Exxon. Uh, what that means is that the franchise owner of the Exxon decided to paint some flames over the gas tanks and have these weird murals of, like, Jerry Garcia and Jimi Hendrix, and he painted Rock and Roll Exxon across the top of it, and he, he put a red sticker on the outside so it looked like it was, it was red light inside all the time. Uh, it was really sort of bizarre, and then tucked in the back corner was Grilledelphia. 
And we're speaking here to real estate from New Jersey, who are playing Tuesday at the Biltmore in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and winding up here with real estate, 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR, if you have any questions for real estate, or you can also tweet, at Nardwar, N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R. And coming up a bit later on a Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, an interview with Danzig. How about that, the letter D? Isn't he from... New Jersey? He is. He's from Lodi, New Jersey. The Misfits are all of them, yeah. Yes, a New Jersey special on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. And Alex from Real Estate, New Jersey, New Jersey Devils. Have you ever heard of any of them come to any of your gigs or Giants come to any of your gigs? None of the players from either of those teams, but I am a big New York Giants fan. I have a question coming in here, Nardwar, actually, on my feed. Uh, for you. No, that's kind of odd. Can't they, like, feed it to me? Why is it feeding to you first? I have no idea. So my command station here in Wyoming is, 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 is lighting up with questions for you, Nardwar. Can, can I ask you one from the same Jake Solons? Please, go ahead, Alex, from Real Estate. Uh, Jake Solons would like to know, when was your last hip flip? Wow, that's amazing that he would allude to that. The hip flip is a 1960s game, kind of like Twister, where there's like this pole that is placed between two people, and there's a little flipper in the middle, and you have to flip the flipper. And you can do it with your friends, or do it with your girlfriend, or your boyfriend. And I love to do it with politicians. And I actually did it the last time with a Canadian politician called Michael Ignatieff, who has the nickname Iggy. So that was the last hip flip in April. Jake, thank you for mentioning that. And if you go into YouTube, you just can type Nardwar hip flip, and it will pop up all my different encounters with different sort of people, which makes me actually think there's an American election happening right now, Alex, from real estate. I would love to get and cover the election. And what about you personally? Are you following what's going around? Like, Really? Are you into the cane? Are you into the pizza? <laughs> pizza? Yeah. yeah, are you into the pizza? Oh, 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 um, uh, imagine all the pizza? Yeah, yeah like, I, are, are you into the team Herman Cain? Like, the pizza, the gospel singing, the sex scandals? What is your opinions all that? Do you think something well, like... I, I really, uh, I, don't, I don't follow the, uh, the political races that much. I'm, uh, I'm sort of ignorant and indifferent when it comes to, to that, I must admit. Uh, sorry? Because my question to Jake, if he's going to tweet you back, is do you think Herman Cain would do the hip flip with me? That's my question. Would I'm sure he's listening. And he's down from the little I've heard in the coverage I've seen on great news outlets like The Daily Show. You know, I imagine that, that he might. He might just do that. Now, The Daily Show, Jon Stewart, he's originally from New Jersey, isn't he? Yes, he, he is from New Jersey as well, yeah. Any sort of connections to him and real estate besides being New Jersey? I wish. I mean, we're fans, but... uh you know, Do you have I haven't heard anything from him? Any connections to John Bon Jovi? None at all, none whatsoever. How about Kevin Smith of Clerks? Do you follow him on Twitter? I don't follow him on Twitter, but I was a big fan of his when I was a kid, for sure. And I used to post on his message board and try to get his attention. Because he went to Vancouver Film School here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And Rodney Graham is a visual artist from Vancouver, and he's good friends with... Dan Graham. From... New Jersey. Who did the album cover for? Real Estate The Band. Real Estate The Band, who are coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, this Tuesday night. How about Tabitha from Salon Takeover? Tabitha from Salon Takeover. 
It's that TV show. She's from New Jersey, too. Oh, I don't know. I don't know her. See, we're on tour so much, we don't get to watch television. How about John Corzine? John Corzine? Yes. I've heard of him. <laughs> Did you vote for him? I didn't vote for him. I'm a registered voter in Vermont, actually, ironically, because I went to college there, and that's where I registered to vote. But now real estate is living in Brooklyn? Now you're abandoning New Jersey and you're living in Brooklyn? I wouldn't say we're abandoning it, but yeah, at the time, all the members of real estate live in Brooklyn, yeah. Alex of Real Estate, what is your favorite subway stop in Williamsburg? Bedford, Metropolitan, or Marcy? Um... I like the Marcy stop. It's closest to my girlfriend's place. Uh, and it's right near a uh, McDonald's and it's near a Checkers, which I haven't eaten at yet, but I hear it's really, really good. And Alex, you're not so much into the politics. You're into the sports. How about sports and punk rock? Did you ever follow Pulley or Ten Foot Pole, whose singer was a pitcher, Scott Radinsky? No, I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't followed that. Yeah. They were like pop-punk bands. He was also the singer of Scared Straight. He was actually a singer of a punk band, and he was in... In... New Jersey? No, not only was he in New Jersey... No, he wasn't in New Jersey. He was in Los Angeles, St. Louis, and Cleveland. I guess I was just curious about uh, the connections, possibly to get any sports characters out to your gigs at all. Well, um... The only connection that we really have with the sports figure is Alexi Lawless, who is a former uh, U.S. Uh, national soccer player and a commentator for ESPN, and he's a big fan of the new record, apparently. He's been tweeting at me. Wow! Maybe you can, like, include that in, like, a tweet to me so I can add him to, like, the Nardwar spam list. That'll be great. <laughs> I think that we should see Lawless in on this conversation. And Alex... Winding up here on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, and thanks so much for phoning in. We have another tweet question for you from Saul Yunab. And Saul Yunab says, How do the guys feel about the feedback they've received from the new album? And then he says, I think it's phenomenal. Somebody want to take this? We, we feel good. Uh, I'm going to pass it to Martin. He's going to wrap up with you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's been amazing. We're really excited. Have you noticed when it actually kicked in? Because years ago, I did an interview with Nick Islands from The Unicorns. Do you remember The Unicorns? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was a fan of that first album, for sure. Nicholas Diamonds. And he said after, after The Unicorns got a review on Pitchfork, every gig had at least 300 people in it. Did you see any blip when you got such great reviews on Pitchfork this time around? I know you had some kind of reviews beforehand, but did it really just kick up an extra little notch because of it? I guess I was just curious. Uh, I, I don't really know because the, the, the record came out right like the day we started our uh, tour this time. So, you know, the shows have been good, so I don't know. <laughs> but it's definitely not 300 people every night, you know. Can you tell when the audience is into you? How can you tell when the audience is into you, Martin? Uh, people dance or, you know, at, at least bop their heads. Sometimes if it's a really good crowd, they'll, people will, like, cheer, like, during the song, like, like during a change or something. That's the coolest, you know. Or if people are singing along, which is rare, but really pretty awesome. Um... So, yeah, there's there's a bunch of different ways. What was it like playing the Fader Fort? Didn't you play, like, the Fader Fort? Yeah, um, in 2010 at South by Southwest. It was cool. It was it was weird. It was really cold that day, I remember. It was, like, a weirdly cold South by Southwest. And uh, 
we played right before Sleigh Bells. So pretty much everybody was just there to, I think, waiting to see them. So it was kind of a, an interesting crowd. Um, I don't know. It was cool. We, we were kind of like the odd band out that day. I think we were like one of the, the only like real like kind of like indie bands or something. So the, the audience wasn't necessarily all there for us, but it was fun. You've played some interesting festivals. Like you played Culture Shock. What was that? At uh, SUNY Purchase. That was great. That's when we first got to uh, meet the Feelies and see them play. That was amazing. Um, and we Culture Shock is cool. We we went there um, a couple of years ago, like before, way before we started the band. We saw like Animal Collective and The Walkman or something. And a couple really good bands. We always thought that was a cool little like it's like a college like spring fest, but like they get really good bands to play. Did you get to see Cassette King R. Stevie Moore? Because he was at that concert as well. Yeah, yeah, him too. Yeah, he was there. He introduced us. He introduced all the bands. He was like the MC for the night. No yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. It's so incredible you get to play all these gigs and all these neat sort of people pop up. Like, did you have Andy Rourke at one time of the Smiths DJ one of your gigs? Yeah, he DJed a gig, and then he interviewed us for, like, a TV pilot that he's shooting where he interviews bands. So we got to meet him and hang out with him and stuff. What other stuff do you have coming up that you're looking forward to? Like, can it get any better than, like, our Stevie Moore and meeting the Feelies at Culture Shock? Like, how can it get any better? Uh, I don't know, actually. That's a good question. Good point. Um, I think we could meet you in person. Yeah, that would be, that would be pretty, (laughs) that would be up there for sure. Um, but you know, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, we just have a lot of touring coming up, so hopefully some cool stuff will happen at some of these shows. Is there anything interesting on, in the future that you're thinking about? Um, just touring and more touring. Uh, hopefully doing some recording, though we might want to do like an EP or something. And this Tuesday night at the Biltmore in Vancouver, British right. Columbia, Canada. And lastly here, Martin, Jersey Shore. They're always going to clubs on the Jersey Shore show. Are any of those clubs really clubs? Like they go to Karma, they go to Headliners. Do bands play any of those clubs? Have you ever played down on that boardwalk? Are there any actual clubs on the Jersey Shore that you could play a gig at? Um, I think, I, I mean, yeah, like in Asbury Park, like, I think the closest that would come to that would be, like, for at least for us to play, would be, like, the Stone Pony or something. But there's definitely clubs. It's just, I don't think it's really our scene. Like, I think it's probably a little bit more of, like, a heavy, heavy scene down there. Uh, but, no, I think I think that they exist. I think. I don't know if they're, are, they, are they band clubs or is it, like, dance clubs that they go to? I think it's, like, dance clubs, but I guess I was just curious if bands ever play, like, right there down in that same area where they're going to the dance clubs. Have you ever been offered any gigs in those areas? No, I know actually Matt played a DuckTales show at Point Pleasant one time. Um, I think that was like a house show or something. So no, not really. And Martin, coming up right now, going to have an interview right after you guys with Danzig, Glenn Danzig, an older interview I did with fellow New Jerseyite Glenn Danzig. Ever had any dealings with Glenn Danzig at all? Yeah, I met him. Uh, I did a an interview at... Um, Sirius Radio in New York, and he happened to be in the studio at the same time doing an interview for something else. So I was with um, our old drummer, and we decided that uh, we needed to get a picture with him. So we asked, and he agreed, but, but he actually asked us. He had to kind of, like, figure out if we were cool or not first before he agreed to do the photo with us. So he asked us what kind of band we are, 
And uh, what's the story? Blinker, do you remember the rest of the story? Even though he said something like, or I was like, we were like a uh, rock band, and then we said we were from Jersey. No, I don't remember the whole story, but it was a good one. But anyway, I have this picture now. Yeah, well, wait a second. Who remembers the story? Somebody's got to remember the story. Please, Martin, please. This is amazing. Well, I was the only one there, but it was, it was, like, he was, like, fish, or, like, it was something, like, we were, like, he was, like, what kind of band are you? And I think somebody, like, oh, Etienne said, like, are you, band, are you more, like, luchier or more, like, Oh we, yeah, we were like we were like psychedelic band. We were, he asked what kind of music we play. We said psychedelic because I thought that would sound cool. And he was like psychedelic, like blue cheer, or psychedelic, like fish. And we said blue cheer, and he's like, okay, cool. <laughs> oh, and, and he did the picture. It's a good thing Alex wasn't there because he would have said fish, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> Boom! I'm coming up right now to end the interview here with you, Real Estate. Thanks so much for phoning Real Estate. I have your new CD on Domino Records. Another D thing, another D theme. Lawrence, Lawrence, actually, I got to go back to Domino for a second. Was your record delayed at all with that big warehouse fire that happened in England? No, luck- luckily, uh, no. I, I don't think we had, and I don't think it was even pressed yet or something when that happened. Did they mention anything about that when you were over there, when you met with them? No, not really. I, you know, I, I didn't actually ask. That's interesting, though. I should have asked them. What track would you like to end here with off the new LP? What track? Um, how about Green Isles? On an Ardwarty Human Serviette radio show. Well, thanks so much for phoning in real estate from New Jersey, playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, this Tuesday night at the Biltmore and some other dates coming up if you're listening anywhere else. Where else are you playing between now and between now and Tuesday? Uh, we're playing Salt Lake City tonight and then Boise at the Neurolux, Portland, Oregon at the Doug Fur, Seattle at the Crocodile, and then Vancouver. Well, thanks so much, real estate. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? Um, just, uh... Well, thanks so much, real estate. Keep on rocking in the free world and do 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 do.
are you? Um, just Glenn Enzig. Glenn Danzig. And Glenn, I'd like to say, in a recent article I read by St. John from Nazine Soap and Spikes, he says, thanks to Glenn Danzig for, quote, being his sole reason for living and waking up every morning. And I'd like to say the same thing. Thanks for all the music over the years. Totally been enjoying it. Um, thanks for listening. Who else is in Danzig at the moment right now, Glenn? Um, myself, um... Joey on drums, Lazy on bass, and uh, we have a new guitar player, Todd Youth, on guitar. Was Todd Youth in Warzone? He might have been. I know he was in Murphy's Law. He was in D-Gen for a while, and then he had a side band called Chrome Locust. You're also taking Sam Hain on tour. Who's in Sam Hain? Um, right now uh, in Sam Hain is uh, myself, Steven London. And does it bug you when people pronounce Samhain instead of, like, so when? There's a proper way to pronounce it, isn't there? Does that bug you? Yeah, it's actually, there's a few pronunciations, but the pronunciation I use on the records is Samhain. Um, it doesn't bug me because it's a Celtic word, and you really can't expect most Americans who can only barely speak English to learn how to pronounce anything Celtic or anything else. So, so it doesn't bug me. On your new LP, 666, Satan's Child, the guitars are like totally pounding there, like jackhammers. They're not lightweight at all. In Lillen, it's like totally awesome. There's like a great chorus, but it takes like two minutes to get to it. You know the one I mean? Like, no one knows her Lillen child. I'm going to bind you. I love that chorus. It's so cool. I want more. Um, that's the song. I don't know what to tell you. Is it true, that Glenn, um, you have Steve Zing. He's back in the band, right? Steve is just, um, uh, like, Sam Hain is not reun reunited. We're just doing this, like, five weeks of shows, and that's it. It's kind of just to celebrate the box set finally coming out, the Sam Hain box set finally coming out. He was originally in Sam Hain, though, a while back, though, wasn't he? Yeah, he's one of the original members of Sam Hain. He's not in Danzig. Right. When he was kicked out of Sam Hain, was that because, quote, he liked Madonna and didn't know that Scarlet Billows meant blood in the song Mac the Knife? <laughs> no, um, Steve, it was kind of a mutual thing with Steve left. It was both, you know, that um, he wanted to do something else and um, we kind of wanted another drummer. Lyle Pressler of Minor Threat was like in Sam Hain for like one gig, the legend goes. Was he kicked out to, quote, inadequate bar body parts? Like, quote, didn't you once say, ever see the arms on that guy? No, I never said that. What I said was, um, he, he knew what Sam Hain was about from the get-go. And he just, you know, we, we all showed up and here we are all pretty, I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, kind of dark, gothic, you know what I mean? And he was in, like, dockers and other stuff. It was, you know, in, like, a sweater tied around his neck, kind of like Haircut 100 or something, and it wasn't going to work. Glenn, did you originally base your look on the Captain Harlock cartoon from Japan? Uh, no. 
are you a fan of that one? Because it's totally neat, the Captain Harlock cartoon. I've seen pictures of that. Yeah, no, I love the manga, and uh, I actually made a Captain Harlock shirt and wore it on the cover of Walk Among Us. But no, it didn't influence my look at all, because he has a totally different, you know, thing. Now, speaking of Japan, is there going to be a Danzig figurine coming out soon? No. <laughs> Glenn, 666 Satan's Child is your brand new album. What album of yours do you think most resembles the Bible? Uh, which Bible? Well, I was thinking, you know, just, I guess, the New Testament. You know, like Zeppelin. You mean like a Christian Bible? Yeah, like, a, do you think any of yours represent that? Because what I was thinking is, you know, like, you, you look at the Bible stories, you see all those Bible guys with, like, Alice in Chains looking hair, they look totally metal, long hair, pound parted down the middle and I guess I was just wondering you know who's the most metal in the Bible and who is the most punk and of any of your albums do you think resemble any Bible um gee I don't I don't think so I think they all are just this um it's more like a world that weaves in and out of that world you know I don't know what to say because I write about so many different religions and you know, sociological problems or, you know what I mean? Do you think though that 666 Satan's Child is the most, has the most religiosity in it? Um, no. <laughs> what would you say album does of all your stuff you've done, Glenn? Oh, gee, I'm trying to think, maybe four. And Glenn, have you read that book, The Bible Code, by Michael Drosnan? No. It was a bestseller from about a year ago that claims that a pattern exists in the Hebrew text of the Bible. And, uh, it, for, and it foretells like many world events like Nostradamus, etc. I've never even heard of it. In the movie The Prophecy 2, you play an angel. Yeah. Was it bummer getting killed by an angel? Like you were killed by an angel in the movie Prophecy 2. Yeah, no, it's just a movie. <laughs> For two years, Glenn, two years, you've been total legal limbo. Now 666 Satan's Child is out. You demonstrated a lot of patience there, didn't you? Yeah, it was very tough because uh, my initial reaction would be to go and, like, destroy everybody. But um, I knew in the end that I would win, and uh, I did. When the Misfits played the Channel Club in Boston years ago, the entire audience showed affection for you by dogpiling on top of you, like on stage. All these people, like guys from SSD Control and DYS, jump on top of you. It's in some video. And when you're finally uncovered, you just say, that was pretty cool. How did you get through that? All these people dogpiling on you. Um, it was just a Boston thing, um, and I was used to it. I mean, you know, I was part of it, too. I mean, you know, someone would jump on you, and you jump on that, and then it would start getting crazy, and then you'd jump out, and you'd jump back on top of the pile, and it was, uh, yeah, it was just a Boston thing back then. Well, you do seem to have a calming effect on people and influence on them, Glenn, because at Sam Hain's last gig, was it 1986? Was that the last gig of Sam Hain? Aside from, I guess, last night or the other night, but was that the last gig in 86? Uh, our last show was at the New Music Seminar 
at the Ritz in New York. Well, maybe that was, maybe, yeah, that was the last gig. I think that was 86. Because it was like DOA, DRI, COC, all these initial bands, and Celtic Frost was on yeah. the bill. Is it true that Celtic Frost didn't want to play that night, but you convinced them, like you convinced, you, Glenn Danzig, convinced Celtic Frost to play that night? No, that's not true. Because they didn't want to do the sound check or something, and just said, come on, get on with the show. Nope, that's not true. I also heard that the Sam Hain crew would frequent a restaurant in Pittsburgh, the O, and be frightened by like this huge chef there, but you walked in one day and immediately got along famously. Where? The O in Pittsburgh. It's a restaurant in Pittsburgh called the O. Oh, kind of like a, like a diner kind of... Greasy spoon, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I'm talking about this guy with the slick hair and whatever. Yeah, big guy behind the counter. I don't know, that's cool. You have a great influence on people doing that stuff. Have you ever been scared by anyone, Glenn? Like, now that you finally have an album called 666666, Satan's Child, you know, can you mention the name of the demon, he, he who cannot be named? Have you reached that point yet? <laughs> he who cannot be named is about some stuff I had been reading about. Um, and... Um, as far as mentioning a name of he who cannot be named, uh, I'm sure people have mentioned it many times, not even realizing it. Have you yourself ever said it in interviews or in songs? No. And do you think he ever will? Uh, not for other people, no. I'll let them decide. And Glenn Danzig, on 666 Satan's Child, you have that tune, Cult Without a Name. Do you still want to raise an army and start killing people? Like, the Danzig Force is the army you have with the motto, the Danzig way, the only way. <laughs> no, um, the Cult Without a Name is, is about a lot of different things. Um, it's, it's also about... Um, Mainly, I mean, one of the things that's really cool about it is it's a metaphor for a music that a whole entire, uh, maybe, uh, especially from when we came out with, with punk and then later on, you know, with hardcore, all that crazy stuff. It's just the, the whole journalistic world would just not acknowledge that there was an other music other than like the who and foreigner and you know what i mean all these really awful 70s rock bands and to this day even mtv and rolling stone will not give any credibility or acknowledgement to any really hard bands it seems, though, that they do do weird product placement in movies, like the film Higher, Learn Higher Learning about hate on campus has a main Nazi character putting out posters in his dorm, including a huge Danzig poster. Yeah. And in 8mm, has a serial killer has a Danzig poster in the bedroom. So it seems that although Hollywood may have ignored it, they've kind of thrown it in there in some weird instances. Well, Hollywood has never ignored it. It's the, you know, when I said the music journalists, you know, and the journalistic world, mostly here in America, I mean, punk and hardcore was totally ignored. And even in the beginning, Danzig, I mean, no one would even do articles on us at all. And I know there are a lot of other bands like that, like Pantera and other bands, and just anything really hard and in your face always gets treated like it's not, 
you know, that doesn't exist. Do you have any control when they say we're going to put your poster up in a movie like Higher Learning or 8mm? Did he actually come to you? Well, in Higher Learning, we had no control. They did that without our permission. Um, so we sued them, which is cool. But in 8mm, uh, I thought it was really cool, and I gave them permission to use it. There is some fun stuff, too. Like, a friend of mine was watching Cheers, and he looked right in the back room, and there was some graffiti scrawl there, and it was like, static, 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 we're on a video rage, on Cheers, written in the washroom. That's pretty weird. I've never seen that. And on 666 Satan's Child, there's a whole bunch of great tunes, and it was actually just voted best new release of the month by, like, an internet streaming video show, Butterfly Juice. Like, it seems to be getting some great responses for that. Do you think you'll say ever end up on an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch? I doubt it. (laughs) On the bio... On the bio for 666, Satan's Child, you say that you, you know, have that basic punk rock attitude, which you mentioned before in all your projects. Have you kept up with any, you know, the punk pals from days of yore, like Barry from the Necros and Big Chief, or Tim Kerr from the Big Boys and Monkey Wrench? No, I didn't even know Tim had a, a new band. I haven't talked to Tim in a long time. Barry from the Necros is a fat piece of shit. A fat piece of shit. That piece of shit. Okay. Just wanted to make sure that you said that. Tim, though, has some totally cool stuff. He apparently has the gloves you wore circa Walk Among Us in a sort of shrine. Yeah, Tim is a cool guy. Did you ever get that form-fitted steel fist made you were talking about in one of your Danzig home videos? No, I haven't gotten it made. Amir Derek, who mixed a lot of your new LP, 666, Satan's Child, was in the metal band Junkhouse. Speaking of hair, didn't you once get sucker punched by one of the guys in Def Leppard in some lineup? No, that's not true. What was that incident about? Um, what happened was uh, me and my, uh, my security guy were coming out of a, uh, a catering tent at some festival in Germany, and they all, like the whole... Def Leppard, like 30 of them, were getting dropped off with their entourage and everything, and they all just stand there, and I was standing there with a couple plates, and I'm like, could you please move, we're trying to get through, and they all just looked at us like, fuck you, get the fuck out of here, and after about a minute, I just went, hey, get the fuck out of the way, and then they were like, oh, you made blah, and then just a bunch of bullshit, nothing happened, nobody threw any punches, me and Dennis would have destroyed them. But you and Henry Rollins once chased Vince Neil from Motley Crue down Santa Monica Boulevard for interrupting a black flag misfit sound check at the Whiskey? It was a misfit uh, sound check. And they didn't interrupt it. They wanted to see what was going on. And it was like, I think it was Vince and somebody else. That's what Henry said. And we just went running out. And they were just scampering up the hill or the street or whatever. It was pretty funny. What do you think now about bands like Motley Crue, people totally embracing that total glam thing that's making a total huge comeback? Like bands like Motley Crue are like considering themselves punks. Oh, they're not punk. Are you into lankanthropy? Lankanthropy? Yes, that's the word. Yeah, you mean turning into a werewolf? Yeah. Or assuming wolf um, characteristics. I read a lot about it. I've got a lot of books on it. Do you have any silver around your house to keep the werewolves away? (laughs) Not much. (laughs) And since Wolverine was found by Alpha Force in Canada, do you have any bonds with the Great White North? Nope. 
Did Chuck Biscuits ever play down Keep the Dogs Away by the massive Canadian Hulk Thor? Did what? Chuck Biscuits ever played the album Keep the Dogs Away. He has an album called Keep Dogs Away. This is the ba- This is the guy called Thor. He's a big metal guy. He has an album called Keep the Dogs Away. I don't know. Because there's a Canadian called Farley Mowat, and he wrote a book called Never Cry Wolf. And you've run with the wolves in the video. Have you uh, ever heard Never Cry Wolf? No. And Glenn, do you think you're ever going to do Wolf's Blood on this tour in Samhain? No. And Glenn, 666 Satan's Child. In England, they call the devil Old Nick. What? In England, they call the devil Old Nick. In England. Uh, I don't think they do anymore. And in Tower of London, you're not supposed to kill, hurt, or disturb ravens. And what's your point? Well, what I was curious about was in the Lucifuge video, do you really rip that chicken in half? Like, is that a real chicken? I, like, I saw the leg. My friend was like freeze framing it one by one. He works in a video store and he swore that the actual chicken was ripped in half. No, it wasn't ripped in half. How did you do that little trick? That was amazing. Uh, just the cut and edit. You know, I, uh, at the last minute when you're gonna about to rip the chicken in half, you just let go of one of your hands. That chicken actually got paid girls that were in the video and the extras. Really? Yeah, we had a chicken wrangler and everything. It was pretty funny. What do you think of the current crop of like those worshipping heathen bands, like the you know Norwegian black metal bands, like Mayhem, etc.? Do you have any similar philosophy? <laughs> um. Uh, let's see. So a lot of those are profiled in the book Lords of Chaos that came out yeah, a while back. Yeah, I know. Back. I know, yeah, Danzig is cited in there a couple times. Um, I know uh, we've done shows over in Germany where Cradle of Filth won the bill, and, um, and uh, then the drummer from Cradle, Dimu Borgir, and um, I mean, some of the, uh, you know, I don't know that. I relate totally to what they're saying. Because there's some pretty... Some things, yeah. There's pretty crazy stuff like that. Count Grishnak burning churches, killing Euronymous, and a death killing himself. Pretty wild. Very extreme. What's the deal with your Elvis oil painting in the dressing room on tour? Do you have an Elvis yeah. oil painting? No, that's eerie. Oh, that was eerie. What's your workout that you do, Glenn? I'm kind of getting back into the gym myself, doing a lot of lateral raises and chest presses. Like, how do you find time to keep fit? A friend of mine was backstage at one of your shows, and he swore he saw a full solo flex weight gym backstage. Do you do that? Like, do you work out before shows? Glenn, do you do any workouts before shows, before you're rocking and rolling? Hello, Glenn Danzig? Hello, Glenn Danzig? Hello, Glenn? Hello, Glenn? Hey, um, we just got cut off. I'm calling back again. Uh, let's see, um, you a little later. End of message. To erase this message, press 7. To save it, press 9. Message will be saved for 7 days. You've reached the offices of Evil Live Records and Verotic Publishing. Leave a message and someone will get back to you. This first one to say, Glenn, uh, what happened in uh, Seattle there? We were totally shocked when the gig didn't happen. 
Oh, uh, the WTO riots. Because it was, it just, do you know if that was the real reason that it was canceled, just because of the riots? Yeah, the moor is like two blocks from the WTO. Because my friend just was so, just like choked when that happened, Glenn. He took like this bus trip ride from Victoria, B.C., which is like 7.5 hours. He made like set list tapes to memorize of all the songs you're going to play on your current set list. So he could be like, you know, right up front singing along. He got the hotel room. He was there like a couple days early. And like he's up this pole, like joining the demonstrators going, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's looked over to the Moore Theater. There's like this giant banner that says Danzig. And he's like, all oh, right, this is the end of the world. Danzig's going to be playing. It's going to be great. And he got down from the pole and then went over to the Moore Theater and got a flyer. And this is like, he, his heart just stopped. And? Well, it just was like, he just couldn't believe it that this, like, the gig was over. That it was just like, because he didn't have a chance because it was like, it was a chance. I think it was the Friday night gig was in Portland. And for like a minute, they entertained trying to get to Portland to see you guys. But yeah, they well, we had, um, uh, the same promoter did both shows. So they had buses bringing people down to the Portland show. And I guess he, geez, and I guess he didn't know that about the bus because he was like totally stoked. Like, as he finds out from this flyer to what was going on, it was just. Well, that's, that's life, man. The, you know, uh, no one, you know, no one knew that the riots were going to happen when we booked the tour, you know, so nothing we can do. So, Glenn, you're talking to me from now Verotique, right? That's your comic book implant? Yeah, it's Verotic, not Verotique. Oh, sorry about that. What is your favorite comic that you have out there on that label? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I like them all. Is there any particular comic shop that you have favorite that, like, always stocks your stuff? Do you have a favorite comic shop? You mean here in L.A.? Or just worldwide, this loves your stuff. Yeah, or, or, well, I guess there's, isn't there, like, isn't that Golden Apple in L.A.? Yeah, I think Meltdown carries a better stock of our stuff than, than Golden Apple. I'm not sure. I mean, Golden Apple used to, but I think he's scared to carry our stuff now. How about Phantom in the Attic in Pittsburgh? Phantom... Phantom of the Attic? Yeah. I think they got bought out. I used to know a guy, who, uh, like around 88 or so, who um, ran the Phantom of the Attic stuff, but I think he sold his chain out. Did you get lots of cool stuff there at all? Um, you know, I think I was in the store like once or twice. I'm just curious, like, if you can go to comic shops and identify what you remembered buying in each shop just because maybe you got some amazing comic you've been looking for for a long time. Um, there used to be a place in Passaic that was cool, Passaic Book Center. That's in New Jersey, right? Yeah. Uh, that place had a lot of cool stuff. It was like the store that time forgot. So those are my favorite stores. Like, so if I'm on tour and say I'm in Boise or somewhere, right, um, going into a shop that has all these old comics laying around and, you know, you got to look through stuff and things like that, that's my favorite store. Have you ever found any EC horror ones? No, I'm not into EC that much. And when you're doing your comic label, Glenn, what do you got for inspiration? Like, have you ever, like, gone to, like, a forensic autopsy and, like, checked it out just to get inspiration for some of the stuff you're doing? Uh, no. <laughs> Why does Michael Jackson went actually witness the forensic autopsy? Uh, I'm not Michael know? Jackson. I have, like, autopsy books if I want to look at them. <laughs> In one of your comics that you have so there... an SPK video and look at that and it's fine. <laughs> The Anarchist, those death scene books that uh, Feral House put out, those are pretty graphic too, right? Uh, I've got old German autopsy book, like real autopsy books for coroners. Really? Yeah. What year would it have been? 
Um, let's see. It's big. It's a hardcover. It's weighs probably like five pounds. It's a real, you know, it, it, it's a book that a coroner would go to to check on how a person was killed. And each chapter is like death by electrocution, death by misadventure, and they're just photos. So this way you can tell the signs of how a person died when you're you got them on the slab and you're looking at them to see or to figure out, you know, how they um, met their demise. That sounds like it must have been incredibly hard to come by. Yep. Have you ever been like singing along up on stage or glanding like a fan hand to one of those books? You did something you freaked out at? Like backstage, like a, I don't know, just, I just thought it'd be no, weird. I have way worse stuff than any fans could hand me. <laughs> like you never like been, you never like been singing and seen a fan in the audience with you, like you're like teasing you with your favorite comic book or something. You just, you just felt like going down and saying, hey, I'd love to buy that from you. No. And do you write most of the stories in your comic books? Yeah. And I was curious about it. Like, there's a lot of decapitations and stuff. Have you used that from those autopsy books? Have you got inspiration from those? Like, have you used that for the reference? No. Is there anything that you use at all for a reference there? Like, do you drawing upon? Um, depends on the book. Depends on the story. It must be great to have your own comic book, book implant there. Just because, like, you can pretty much... Print. Imprint, I'm sorry. Imprint something you would put inside of something. Right. I guess that's kind of Danzig. Do you have any songs about implants at all? Huh? Do you have any songs about implants? No. It must be great, though, to have that imprint. And um, you can do pretty much whatever you want. American Records, you're totally gone from them. Do you feel, like, free now that you can pretty much do what you want and you're not bound by anything? Uh... Well, when I was there, I mean, uh, you know, I was told I would have total freedom. Um, eventually, it started to change, and that's, uh, you know, that and the, the fact that we weren't getting accounted to for any of our royalties or publishing or anything. Um, and they were putting out lots of different releases and not telling us about them uh, overseas and stuff. That was the reason I left. Because American Records, I was checking around on the web, and actually on eBay, somebody is selling a Danzig Gold record. Someone selling a Danzig Gold record? What, someone from American? Yeah, check this description out there, Glenn. Danzig Gold Record Award for sales of the first two Danzig records. This is the real deal from American Records, formerly Deaf American. Scan shows award in mint condition with original manufacturer's tag still on the back. You can change the name of the award plate to your own just by contacting the manufacturer. This is a true collector's piece and was obtained from the original recipient. So who's the original recipient? I don't know. I didn't. I couldn't make it out there. It's like I guess somebody's like. It's probably eerie because he's selling everything. He's so broke. <laughs> like that, um, that's pretty bizarre. Like a gold record. Um. Hey, that's his life. You know, if he wants to sell it. What did Rich Erie originally do? Was he a pool cleaner years ago? <laughs> I don't know if he was a pool cleaner, um, but he. Uh, I think he worked in a factory. Was it that big factory that the, the Jerry's family had, that same factory? No. Because also on eBay, a little while ago when I was talking to you before, I was looking around and it was like Misfits Legacy of Brutality pink vinyl went for $3,000 on eBay. $3,000? Yep, Legacy of Brutality pink vinyl. Because I think there was something like they mixed up the vinyls when they were making it and there were only a few, like 3000 Oh, yeah, I did that because I was there. Oh, really? What happened? Uh, I just told them not to, we were going from red to white vinyl, and I told them not to clean the thing and just pour in the white. 
Actually, I think we did the white first, and then we poured in the red. That's how it went. So that's, uh, that was amazing what you created there, Glenn. 3000 on eBay. Wow. Did, did you ever think it would end up like that? No. Have you had much stuff end up on eBay that you didn't think would end up on eBay? Oh, I never knew that. I don't think anyone knew there was going to be an eBay. <laughs> so you would never think that it would end up on eBay because nobody would even think that it, you know eBay would ever even exist back then. You know, um, I just did that because um, I was into collecting records and lots of my friends were. And, you know, I just knew that, you know, there were, you know, select amount of people out there that wanted that kind of stuff, you know. Well, Glenn Danzig, your new LP, a 666 Satan's Child, continues like your strong lyrical presence, like songs you've done previously. And you've had amazing lyrics in past, like, you know, carve a hole in your distorted soul, I'm here to bang it, or I'm coming in your hole, I waste you, girl. I was curious, are you demystifying sex through these lyrics? Are you degrading it to the listener? What exactly is your um, angle on those? Um, well, it depends on the song and the character I'm writing as in the song. In the particular, uh, you just um, like carve a hole in your distorted that's soul. About the world, that has nothing to do with sex. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the other saw uh, the other line, you you. Um, I'm coming in your hole. I waste you, girl. I don't say I waste you, girl. Oh, sorry about that. It says uh, I'm coming in your hole. Then it says I'm coming in your home. It's about stalker. It's a cult stalker song. It's about a stalker. Right. So it alternates from I'm coming in your home to I'm coming in your hole. Um, and then uh, the, the next line is I wish you would. How do you feel about people like reading into your lyrics and Fine. stuff? and stuff that you do like that. Fine. Because I guess like many successful artists over the years that have been well-respected, I guess you've taken a lot of heat for some of the, uh, you know, lyrics and I guess thoughts you've put out there. Is it okay to read you an excerpt of this interview that I found? Sure. This is a No Means No interview. I don't know if you're familiar with the punk band No Means No. Yeah, I can't stand them. Oh, you don't like them? Have you ever met them before? No. Okay, well, I'm maybe then, uh, well, this, well, I don't know if that'll explain it, but it says, in a No Means No interview by John Durbin in the July-August 1998 issue of Vice Magazine, Volume 5, Number 6, Page 38, No Means No say, Fuck Danzig. Whatever he does, our work is the opposite of that. I think if he'd been two feet taller, he might have been a normal human being. But he's stunted in more ways than one. To us, it's not just show business. We're not a band that preaches in a negative way, etc., etc., etc. What do you think when you hear stuff like that, when people are critiquing your lyrics like that? Um, it, it, it's pretty funny. <laughs> They're just haters. <laughs> are there you know? Yeah. They're just haters, you know? It's like, you know, if they saw me, they wouldn't say shit. Right. You know? They'd probably like, oh, can we come out on tour with you? You know? They're just haters, you know, tons of haters. It's like, if you're a struggling, starving, you know, indie band playing at small little clubs, and if they're doing better than you, then they like you. What do you think of these... They can go fuck themselves, and they probably do, so there you go. 
what do you think of these lyrics, Glenn? I'm the scarecrow man, the scarecrow man. I've come to kill you. I will. I'm going to eat you. But I'm still the scarecrow man, the scarecrow man. They're awful. That's by the new Misfits. Yeah. And I guess what was curious, Glenn, was your song Belly of the Beast on 666 Satan's Child has a lyric, Did my time among the creeps. Do you think you ever get back together with, you know, the creeps? Who are the creeps? Well, the misfits. That's what I thought perhaps you... Are you referring to them in that song, Belly no, of the no, Beast? No, I'm not referring to them at all. What is that song about when you mention that line, Did My Time Among the Creeps? Did My Time Among the Creeps, Among the Sleazy People, um, throughout my life and throughout everyone's life. Do you watch wrestling lately? Have you been taking any pleasure in seeing Jerry Only getting his ass kicked wrestling? It's pretty funny, but uh, I can't stand watching WCW wrestling because it's so, like, rednecky and so, like, geeky and it's real soft. I can only watch ECW and WWF where they're, like, you know, real violence and blood and stuff. I can't watch that fucking Ted Turner crap. So you've seen Jerry, though, on wrestling then. I guess you can't really get away from it, can you? It's pretty funny. I mean, it's sad they just come on for, like, two seconds and get their ass kicked. <laughs> I don't know why they're on there. I mean, I guess just to get their ass kicked. I don't know. <laughs> On your new CD, Glenn, 666 Satan's Child, you have a song, Cold Eternal. Do you like sunlight? Huh? No, I don't. <laughs> I know it's necessary, but I don't really like it that much. Was Edgar Allan Poe, do you think, the greatest American horror writer of the 19th century? 19th century. Uh, probably. And of the 20th, do you have any favorites now that we're ending it? Um, I don't know if he's the greatest writer, but he sure can set a mood. I don't know if he can tell that great of a story, but H.P. Uh, Lovecraft was awesome. Do you have any of his collection, like a, a bound in vellum collection of H.P. No. Lovecraft? No. I'd rather read it on, like, musty, smelly pages and like that. When you, like, buy one of those books or acquired any, have, have you ever been to, like, Forrest Ackerman's house and seen his collection of crazy books? Yeah, many times. Have you ever, like, looked through the books and, like, found weird pieces of paper inside of them, like, when you've bought stuff or seen, like, this? maybe people have left some bizarre little relic? Yeah, I've got a couple books, not from Fari, but um, that I found here and there, you know, and, um, you know, there's inscriptions by people when they were giving them to somebody and things like that, and they're really strange. It's kind of cool. The song you wrote for Johnny Cash, 13, which is also on 666, Satan's Child, has a line in it, when the ink starts to itch, then the black will turn to red. Is that autobiographical? Autobiographical? Yes, that's yeah, the word. That's the word that you're looking for. Um, it kind of is, yeah, but it's more like, in other words, it's a take on, you know, when somebody starts... Um, and, you know, in this case, I wrote the song about Johnny Cash, my impression of him. I wrote it for him. Um, it's my impression of, like, if you had a tattoo, you know, and someone's pissing him off and it starts to itch, that means it's going to be blood. So it's not literally, like, paint then and all that. It's like, I guess I was thinking of, like, ink as in mass, kind of. I thought perhaps it might have been an allusion to, like, you know, Danzig cover bands or Misfits cover bands. No. 
Because actually my friend Rob that I was mentioning that went down to that gig that was trying to see it was like his really, really, like, you know, actually he did one cool thing was he may have missed your gig, but he did get good at a video game because he put, made these like set tapes and like listened to them and his like headphones, like memorize every song. He already knew them anyways and uh, got good at a video game. But he actually did a little while back did a Misfits tribute band called the Astro Zombies where he did Danzig and Sam Hain stuff. What do you... What do you think of bands like that, like Plan 9 or the Astro Zombies or Misfits cover bands? Uh, I, I think some of them are better than Misfits, actually, right now. <laughs> that's my attitude. You know, that's, that's why I see it. It's sad, but it's true. Some of them were pretty authentic. Like Rob, he like painted like three pairs of gloves and he had a seamstress cut to have the same indent you had on your gloves. Uh-huh. And then he like cut and sewed his own Captain Harlock shirt, had two skeleton shirts, a simple one, and like another one modeled on a zipper that he saw you wearing and some other cap- and some other shirt. Man, I just painted it on a fucking long sleeve t-shirt. <laughs> really? That's it. Like he just spent hours and he had a hell of a time getting tight t-shirts as well. Yeah, I, I used to do this one thing where I um, like the sleeves and also the, the collars I would put snaps on them that's about it so like he's going to all this length doing it and I guess he was wondering where do you get tight t-shirts do you, like on tour do you ever like go to like the woman's section of a thrift shop and look for tight fitting shirts like how do you find those tight fitting shirts how do you find those tight fitting shirts at all Glenn um, if you want a tight fitting shirt the easiest way is that if you're like a medium you buy a small that sounds pretty good. <laughs> but how about like finding, you know, um, friends should invest in some brain cells. <laughs> well, how about really small ones? Like, have you ever gone to like Kmart and tried on a kitty sized T-shirt or like one of those Incredible Hulk ones? And just does that work well? No, it doesn't work well. As a matter of fact, um, Jay Jay from Orgy was like into like while we were doing the mixing, he was into wearing like shirts that were like eighteen sizes too small. <laughs> I mean, I remember me and um, Erie trying to make, like, uh, garbage kill, garbage pail kids' T-shirts fit us. You know, we were trying to get, like, the largest kitty size that there was, but they just didn't fit. <laughs> well, how we, did you buy them, or were you trying them on, like, right in the Kmart? How did you... No, you'd have to buy them. And so you try and buy, like, a, you know, a kid's, like, a large or extra large and try and, you know, fit into it, but it just wouldn't work, and it would just start ripping up the sides or whatever. So I just say, it for my collection or whatever. Oh, they didn't let you try them on at the store in a change room or anything, then, eh? No, it wouldn't work anyway, because then if you rip it, you got to pay for it anyway. So Have you ever played a gig in Danzig, the city of Danzig? No. Because that's like the free city that was like the flashpoint for World War II, and was also where the movie yeah, that... The German city that was taken away from them. Yeah, it was like the movie where Tin, Tim, Tin Drum is set. Have you ever seen Tin Drum? Yeah. And now it's known as Gdansk, and it's where uh, Les Schwalenza was from. Wow. <laughs> and Glenn, you have draw- bought, uh, Glenn, you have brought a lot of joy into people's lives. A guy I know is a courier in L.A., and he says, you know, you've made it, you've made it, you've made it in L.A. when you're like, you know, your day has been made because he's just doing all these menial tasks. When you're like driving through Hollywood Hills and you see Glenn Danzig shirtless washing his Porsche in Hollywood Hills, like, it's just like, you've totally made it. And Beck also commented this in an interview recently. Have you, uh, are you a big fan of Beck at all, Glenn? No. <laughs> 
Not no means no or Beck either, because Beck said everything's going upscale around here. Beck says scanning the manicured lawns and homes, except for Glenn Danzig's house. The horror rocker lives in a quaintly, I think it's like sepulchural, sepulchura cassie. Sepulchural, yeah. Sepulchural, yeah, whatever. Sepulchral hacienda. Sepulchral, yeah. With a large pile of bricks out front. He's had that stack of bricks out there for eight years now, Beck says. I think it's a statement. Yeah, it's a statement that I ain't Beck and I ain't going upscale. How's that? <laughs> That's for sure. Is there a pile of bricks outside your house? Sure is. Well, wow, I, well, I never, that's, that's wild to think Beck might have been driving around your neighborhood looking for inspiration. And Glenn Danzig, on the Danzig homemade video, the security guards have that t-shirt, Gods Don't Like It. What does God not like? Uh, God doesn't like anybody uh, calling his shit out. <laughs> calling his shit out? Yeah, in other words, exposing how phony all, mostly all religion is. No, there's lesbianism in the Bible, too, isn't there? Like in the Old Testament, it's the matriarch. Yeah, in there. Yeah, it's the, what was the most surprising thing that you found there? This is for beginners in the Old Testament, like the matriarchs, they lie together. There's lots of different stuff in there that would shock people, and then when you tell people they don't believe it like that, that's where human sacrifice appears. Um, and when you tell them that, you know, God asked Abraham to kill him, kill his son, I mean, people like, no, that's not in the Bible. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's in the Bible, man. They used to do animal and human sacrifices to God. No, they never did. Yep, they did. Are you still into Pee Wee Herman at all? Uh, you know, like, I'm shaving. Pee Wee Herman, um, Pee Wee Herman hasn't done anything in a long time. Do you have an I like some of the, I like the old uh, HBO show. I don't like his TV series. It's pretty bland. Do you have any of his dolls? Because you have a big toy collection, I understand. Do you have any? No, I, I gave them all away to people a long time ago. London's into Pee Wee Herman. And the bones and stuff. Are you into bones, like giving stuff out, bones as Christmas presents or anything? Do you have any, or just bones as gifts for people? No. Do you own any, like, original Frank says Frazetta prints? Because I know we did some comics with you. Do you have, like, any original prints? I've got some prints of his, yeah. What comic book did you work on him with? Death Dealer. And what, when, when did that come out, and what was the plot line behind that one? Um, Death Dealer pretty much is Frank's character, but he never did any stories, really. Uh, they were just, like, um, paintings. So uh, I got together with Bisley, uh, and I wrote the stories, and Biz did the art for the first issue with Death Dealer. Then um, Simon didn't have the time anymore, so I worked with Liam Sharp for the next two issues, and then the last issue I worked with an artist named uh, Arthur Sidem. Is it really that frustrating that like, there's only one distributor for comic books? Is there any other way to get them into the stores? No, it's pretty much a monopoly. How can that be? Like, I mean, at least with records, there's a few, or like there's indie distributors. Like, um, the the main company, Diamond, put them all out of business. <laughs> and uh, do you have any plans of what you can do for this? Is it just like I just have to buy? Like, are you having trouble getting distro for your stuff? You, of course, we have trouble because our stuff is pretty extreme and pretty hardcore. Um, the only thing we can do is sell it on the internet and mail order and try and get it into some mom and pop stores that don't deal with. Um, 
that don't deal with diamonds, you know, and that's about it. And then we have to deal with diamonds. Does it have to be with a comic book distributor? Like no, it can be with anybody. We don't. We haven't signed an exclusive with anybody, so we can sell to lots of different people. Hey, man, I gotta go answer the door. I'm the only guy here. Okay, uh, Glenn. This one last thing I was just gonna say here. Uh, who would you think um, would win a fight, Satan or Superman? Um, Satan. And Glenn Danzig. Do 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 do. Whatever. Uh, do 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 do. You're nuts.